to the Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of no date in particular. We are going off the off the script, off the rails here a little bit uh, for this podcast this week. Hey, real quick, before I forget, you might hear some organ music in the background. I don't know if it's coming through or not, but Bruce Wilkin, our famed organist, is uh, rehearsing in the worship center. We're recording this at a little different schedule than we normally do, but uh, didn't want to stop him from rehearsing and we wanted to go ahead and get this podcast in the rearview mirror. So here we are. Here's Getting Dave. Party started. Here's yeah. Dave. I hope they can hear the organ. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. But uh, it adds yes. an air of gravitas and Not only that, but it makes and... it feel more serious, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we, we have, uh, two of the three of us have just returned from vacation. So, you know, Marissa, you went. Where'd you go? I went to Maui for about a weekend. Seriously? Week in a day or so. Okay. To yeah. Maui. Maui. Did your but whole mine family? pales. Yes, yes. Whole family. So we got a house in Maui and every room was filled. And my brother is still sleeping on the couch no matter where we go or how <laughs> old he is. So it was really fun. It was a good time. Perfect. So you went to Maui. I went to Arkansas. I know. I'm disappointed with my choice. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> and I went to Jinx. Yeah, there you go. Hey. Dave had to stay here. <laughs> Somebody needs to stay behind and hold down the fort. Yeah. And uh, and by the way, you know, Dave, thanks for preaching last Sunday. I, I Just last minute, I told Paul, I said, I'm just ready to go somewhere. Let's just, let's go someplace and before the words had even finished coming out of my mouth, she was already in travel agent mode. And yeah, I bet. Yeah, we like, we like junk. <laughs> Say no more. Say no more. So what did you do in Maui? Did you whale watch a little bit? We didn't. It's not whale season, That's so right, we missed that. But we did see um, turtles and monk seals. We went snorkeling, and okay. and it was a lot of fun. So. Very good. Well, we just went, we went antique shopping That's in Arkansas. That's great. Dave, what did you do in Jenks? We watched Boomfest. Yeah. There you go. Were Very you at the nice. aquarium? No, oh, we, okay, because we, we were at the aquarium last oh, night. No, we we parked over in um, just a random parking lot over at Ninety First in Delaware. You made the better choice. It was easy for us <laughs> to pull straight out of the parking lot, get get on Ninety First, and get home before all the crowd left. Fantastic. Yes. So speaking of uh, things, I'm trying to segue here. Speaking of things that explode. Do the hard transition. That's okay. what the author of Hebrews does. Yeah. So this is a this is a rather volatile and explosive passage of scripture. I've been asked several times if we're going to handle this passage on Sunday morning, and uh, trust me, it, it's a challenging enough to teach, much less preach, much less having our community groups handle this in in a pastor's cut format. A lot of questions would come up. So this is uh, uh, what I call an interlude. We're roughly halfway through the book of Hebrews, and in the middle is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture to interpret and to understand, specifically because it makes it appear as though a person can lose their salvation, and there's very threatening-sounding language that's used here. So we thought we would handle this just in a podcast, so buckle up. I'll I'll give a disclaimer. We don't have all the answers on this. Mm -hmm. If the answers were easy, scholars would have buttoned this up centuries ago, but there's still a lot of ink and a lot of grief being spilt over this passage of Scripture. So uh, what we're going to be dealing with is Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 
And we'll probably stop in about verse 12. You're kind of out of the woods by the time you get to verse 12. And we're going to take it in in bite-sized pieces and talk through it. And so, Marissa, would you mind reading um, 5.11 to the end of chapter 5, which would be 5.14. And here's where he begins to ramp up with some controversial content. Sure. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Okay, so let's talk about this for a minute. I do want to throw in an illustration that I found here in, in just a moment, but what do we make of this language so far with the writer of Hebrews just kind of saying outright it's time for you to grow up mm. you know what what do we make of this language what what sticks out to you so i i found it interesting actually reading uh one one scholar luke timothy johnson he mentioned that this is a typical hellenistic tool of of rhetoric where he'll actually shock your audience in the middle of an argument that's pretty dense he'll he'll shift gears for a minute and say you guys are immature Quit being immature. You should really be getting this. And so part of it is just the shock factor of interrupting his argument and pausing from it and saying, guys, you really need to get it, just using a common tool of rhetoric. But instead of just using that and letting that be as it is, our writer does a little bit more because he talks about spiritual maturity. He doesn't just talk about you're being immature and leaves it at that. And so somewhere in the middle of that, there's an invitation for us to dive deeper than, than whatever surface-level interpretation we might have got up to this point. Yeah. If you've ever had somebody tell you that's looking in the eye and say, grow up, it's <laughs> kind, of, it's kind of, the, that's the flavor here mm-hmm. you know, of the writer of Hebrews. Marissa, how's this strike Yeah. We're all on this journey of discipleship with Christ, and some of us are at the beginning of the journey, and some of us are much farther along on a level of maturity. And the Apostle of Paul and the author of Hebrews both describe the beginning stages of Christianity as infancy. As, as being a baby. And this is a time for asking questions and making mistakes and tripping and getting back up again. And it's this time of being a toddler, right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong right. with this stage. We all begin at this stage. And we have this fantastic father, this good parent who's so patient with us and kind and picks us up and sets us straight again, who sustains us just like we're little babies and encourages us. But I love this Barclay quote that says that Peter Pan as a concept, is very engaging as he's not going to grow up. It's charming as a play. But if Peter Pan was a man who wouldn't grow up, it becomes a tragedy. Um, You don't want to be 40 years old and living in God's basement playing video games. you got to get out of the basement. you got to live life. You've got to glorify him by the choices that you make. And God, like any good father, wants us to grow up. Um, He wants us to mature and become functioning adults. The whole point of discipleship is not just to glorify God in our lives, but also to make further disciples. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is, I'm still holding your hand when you're supposed to be gathering more people, gathering new disciples, um, and being teachers. And I'm still holding your hand, teaching you what's right and wrong. This is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Your growth is stunted. That's right. It's okay to go through this phase of immaturity. It's not good to stay in this phase mm-hmm. of immaturity. Mm-hmm. So I want to read a, a piece from uh, a D.A. Carson in, in his book. It's called The Cross and Christian Ministry. Um, and he, he writes the story. I just, 
I like it. I, I, I go back to when we were raising our kids when they were little. He says this, when my daughter was born, my wife found herself unable to nurse our infant. So that gave me the challenge of sharing the midnight feedings. Tiffany, our daughter, was a dream. I could zap the formula in the microwave, change her, feed her the whole eight ounces, and tuck her back into the crib all in under 20 minutes. Then our son came along. Everyone had one of these, right? <laughs> Midnight feedings with him were horrendous. Although he had an enormous appetite, he sucked and drank with only three speeds, slow, dead slow, and stop. Worse, he had to be burped every ounce or so, a painfully slow process where he would display his remarkable gift for projectile vomiting. <laughs> Without any warning, he would upchuck uh, what he had taken in and send it 15 feet across the room. If there was an Olympic event in projectile vomiting, he would have taken one of the medals. <laughs> I never uh, got him back into the crib in under an hour, and an hour and a half was more common. At least he had an excuse. He was young, and his digestive system was obviously not as well-developed as his sister's at that same age. Best of all, he quickly outgrew this stage. But there are Christians who are international-class projectile vomiters. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, after years and years of life, they simply cannot digest solid food. You must give them milk, for they are not ready for anything more. And if you try to give them anything other than milk, they upchuck and make a mess of everyone and everything around them. At some point, the number of years they have been Christians leads you to expect something like mature behavior from them, but they prove disappointing. They are infants still and display their wretched immaturity, even in a way that they... Uh, even in the way that they complain if you give them more than milk. Not from them, uh, excuse me, not for them, solid knowledge of Scripture, not for them, mature theological reflection, not from them, growing in a prospective Christian thought, something that won't challenge them to think, to examine their lives, to make choices, and to grow in their knowledge and adoration of the living God. And I wrote out in the margin, me, question mark. Hmm. And before I look at anybody else, I think I need, need to look at myself. And that's what Hebrews is written to, who Hebrews is written to is, is all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, are, are we immature? I think all of us would say we're probably not as mature as the length of our Christian life would say we probably should be. Right. So, all right, well, let's wrap it up. That's good for me. Y'all done? Okay, done. <laughs> if it were only that simple. Man. That, would, that, that passage is the easiest one of the chunks yeah. to all get right. through. So let's take, uh, don't say chunks after we talk about <laughs> I know, I want to apologize to my father who I'm sure is listening for that oh. past illustration. <laughs> projectile vomiting, all right. Uh, we all have stories of when our kids got sick, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Oh my goodness, nothing, nothing prepares you for that. All right, so let's read the, uh, the hefty passage. And Dave, why don't you go ahead and read Hebrews 6. And this is going to be 1 through 8. And this is, again, one of the most challenging passages in all the Bibles. Dave, go for it. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, that produces 
vegetation useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end will be burned. Okay, so this is a, a scary passage of Scripture. Let me start by saying he does, he does say, we shouldn't have to relay this foundation, but then he relays the foundation, and he mentions six things, uh, repentance of sin, and they're um, in three groups of two. So repentance and faith. So the, this is how we come into the kingdom. And then he mentions cleansing rites or washings and the laying on of hands. This is probably referring to either uh, Jewish ritual washings or baptisms and laying on of hands. So something that happens in the middle of our uh, Christian life. And then you have the beginning, the middle, and then the end, the resurrection and the eternal judgment. And so that kind of gives a span by using these six um, characteristics, these six little little snippets, he's displaying all of Christian life. Here's the whole thing from stem to stern, soup to nuts, okay? And God permitting, we will go on. And then there's this trouble passage, chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, that makes it appear that we can neglect our salvation to the point of losing it, and in so doing, re-crucify the Son of God, and there will be no opportunity for coming back to repentance. So, Marissa. Sir. What do you do with this? <laughs> well, you have to look at it through the context of, of the previous five chapters and see who the author of Hebrews is writing to. Um, those who had considered Jesus but had ultimately reverted back or were flirting with the idea of reverting back to their old way of life. Um, people who, specifically in this book, um, these were people who would have been going back to um, a form of first century rabbinical Judaism. Um, but these things apply to us just as much as they would to Jewish converts. Um, I, we've talked before at length about how becoming a Christian is like um, going through the baptismal waters and receiving a whole new uh, set of clothing. You throw away your old garments and you're being given this new set of clothing that, that signifies a new life in Christ. So who the author of Hebrews is talking to is those who are trying on the garments of Christ, but who, uh, you know, left the fitting room wearing the same thing that they came in with. Um, can, you kind of have this vision of, of Jesus laying wrinkled on the floor with the tag still on, and, yeah. and they've chosen to, to continue in the old clothes. It's a good analogy. So the entire book of Hebrews is showing not uh, necessarily the foolishness of going back to uh, old ways of life, but why would you want to? You've been given this uh, fulfilled new covenant. You've been given this um, uh, this beautiful opportunity to become intimate with God um, in a way that was previously impossible. Why would you want to go back to the old ways? This is what Moses was pointing to. This is what the high priest was pointing to. The tabernacle was pointing to. They wouldn't want you to go back it's time to move forward. So I don't see this as a passage that's talking about people losing salvation, but rather that you can't lose what you don't fully have. Yeah. You have language here of tasting, of, of, of um, sharing, of being a part of a community and, um, and experiencing a little bit of it, but not becoming fully committed to it. Um, sharing in the Holy Spirit, but not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, tasting the powers of the coming age, but not becoming members of the kingdom of God. So I think about um, all the people who experienced um, the amazing Sermon on the Mount or who were fed during the feeding of the 5,000. 
And they experience Jesus on a level that we long for, right? To hear his words and his wisdom and to experience his kindness and to literally be fed by his miraculous hand. And yet the vast majority of those people went back home and lived their lives as they normally would have. And could we say that they lost salvation? No, they never, they never committed. They never just became disciples. They never followed. But they did. We can't deny that they tasted the kingdom of God. So I think this is what, what uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about. It's just you, you've had a taste, you've had a glimmer, and you've set it aside. You've cast it aside. Don't just, and to use the, the food metaphor, you know, don't just sample don't, don't, there's a banquet, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're just sampling and then walking away as though it weren't any any good at all. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's very dramatic. The organ just like... I know, yeah. I, I really timing. hope you guys can hear the organ. I know you can. <laughs> it's really great. I think they can hear it. It's just like the... the I bet it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, what do you make of this passage? And, and Marissa, you're spot on. Yes. Uh, Marissa, I, I, I agree with you. As I look at this list, even at the beginning, the... The way the, the CSB translates the, the list of six things, you could translate them just as you would translate them or maybe interpret those ideas, uh, the six issues, as issues of the Christian faith with issues of the Jewish faith. And so I, the author of Hebrews has such a high respect for the Jewish faith in inviting those who have a Jewish background to experience Jesus as the fullness of the Jewish faith and the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, even as superior to the Jewish faith and the Jewish way of experiencing forgiveness of sin, that here he's reminding them again, these are kind of the pathways that you've experienced in the past. And then as he gets to discussing, well, people who have lost it, I wonder if it is appropriate to envision those as people so just like you said, people who were there, who witnessed all of Jesus' miracles, maybe like John chapter 9, the, when the Pharisees and all the people were present, when the man that was born blind, the, the sole reason he was born blind so that the glory of God might be displayed according to what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus had a dialogue with the Pharisees after, well, why, how, how, why did you do this? How could you do this? You had to be steeped in sin as well. And Jesus said, well, if you claim you're seeing, then you're blind because the Son of Man came to help the blind see. And something about that dynamic there, I wonder if perhaps the author of Hebrews is saying here to his audience, if his audience thinks they've got it but haven't, but haven't yet to experience Jesus or invite Jesus to be the center of their life, if that's the piece that's missing, and because they're so clinging to their own pride instead of surrendering to Jesus, that they've just missed it. So both of you would contend that this this passage is addressed toward those who are almost but not quite there. Right. Yes. Now I'm going to disagree with you. Go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I intentionally held back, and and not not to disagree with you because I think that's a that's a valid interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why theologians wrestle with this: could there be another interpretation of this? And the Always. language the language Always. of the text. My my problem with my interpretation, if I'm laying my cards out there. As the language of the text says, that you can't have tasted the Son of God and then turned away. And my interpretation says that there's not really a tasting. It's it's more like you kind of see it from a distance. Yeah. You're not up close and personal. And so even my interpretation doesn't necessarily line up with what the text is saying. And, and that's okay. And I, and by the way, if, I, if I'm pressed, I mean, I... Depending on what day it is, you know, I, I, I see this interpretation we've spelled out, and I see this other one, and I and I kind of go back and forth. I go, well, you know, does it does it really matter because of where it ends? And we'll get mm-hmm. to that in just mm-hmm. a minute. 
because I see language here, you know, if you've fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So how can you come back to repentance if you never had it? Uh, and that's, that's why theologians have wrestled with this. So I'm going to give credit where credit is due, Donald Guthrie, um, in his commentary on Hebrews. And by the way, his was the first commentary that I read um, several months ago as I was preparing for this teaching series, and it's the best commentary I've read on Hebrews. And I'm just going to read what he says. The writer appears to be reflecting on a hypothetical case, although in the nature of the whole argument, it must be supposed that it was a real possibility, maybe. Uh, here's the part I really want to read. It was a warning in the strongest possible terms. So, I mean, he, he starts this diatribe, and I use that in the, in the polite sense of that word, that he just he kind of gets, gets in his finger in the face of the Hebrews, then he steps it up, and this is the strongest possible warning he can give. The whole passage is viewed, and this is Guthrie again, the whole passage is viewed from the side of man's responsibility and must accordingly be regarded as limited. In other words, if our salvation were just up to us, then the first time we fell away, we would be lost. The first time that we slipped, the first time we reverted, we would be lost. That's, that is if salvation were only our responsibility. In other words, the Godward side needs to be set over against this passage for a true balance to be obtained. Mm -hmm. So another way of saying this, whereas y'all would contend, and I would agree, on certain days of the week, as people <laughs> who never experienced salvation, this is, I think, more of a paragraph of, this is for those who have experienced salvation. If it were just up to you to keep things solid, that's hopeless. So the God part of this is in the next paragraph. Right. And this is mm. what we often miss. Uh, we just take this one paragraph in isolation. This is, this is our salvation. If it were just up to us, we, we would be precarious at best. But there's a God side of this as well. Verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, those who trust Christ, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy and to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So I, you really need to take verses 9 through 12 in concert with verses 4 through 8, or it gets lopsided. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Okay, so so did I offend either one of you? Not at all, because no. it's. I think you're kind of, I think it all goes together. Yeah, it does. Yes. Um, yeah. 6b is the most dramatic phrase of the whole section. Um uh, for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, they're lost, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So this is also talking about those who, who fall away and then um, provoke God, who, um, who not just, uh, if you're going back to the parable of the sower, which this kind of alludes to, not just those uh, who the seed falls on barren ground, but who actually raise up thorns. And instead of nourishing the community, instead of nourishing the kingdom of God, becomes a deterrent and destructive to the kingdom of God. These are the people who crucify Jesus again, who, who are, are essentially standing at the foot of the cross yelling, crucify him. Um, these are the people that, that um, it says, cannot be brought back to repentance. But I love Origen's take on this, which I've shared with you before. Mm -hmm. 
um, when Origen is talking about uh, this section, he goes back to John 11 and says, uh, Lazarus uh, was brought back from the dead. Um, that all those who were once friends with Christ, who, who experienced death, spiritual or otherwise, Jesus has the power to bring back uh, anyone from the dead, and, uh, and Jesus is capable of restoring that person. Um, when I read these sections, uh, I think of all of the moms and dads and people who have loved ones who were raised in the faith, who went to church, who were baptized, who went on mission trips, who went to Falls Creek, and then you see your kids grow up and they fall away from the faith and how much fear and anxiety that causes parents. Yeah. Um, and what I, I always say and I believe is that their story isn't done yet, mm-hmm. that we all take um, small and large um, uh, detours from the path of God, and we don't know where their story is going to end. So stay diligent to pray for them, Absolutely. encourage them, and just know that Jesus resurrects the dead. He's capable of resurrecting anyone. Mm-hmm. And so these three sections go together. It's you know a little bit of a finger in the face, uh, you know, saying time for you to grow up. And then those who have a heightened oh, sense of guilt, like me, you know, go, oh, I've messed up so many times. What have, what have I lost my salvation? Well. If, if my salvation were in my own keeping, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it's not in my own keeping. It's in God's keeping. And even when I've messed up, he still holds me in his hand. And, and to that end, you know, the author of Hebrews twice says he does it here and he does it again in chapter 10, where he says, you can lose your salvation, but then he turns around and comes back and says, but you're not that. Yeah. And so there's that, that interesting dynamic in the middle of the passage where he's saying, offering almost a hypothetical, like you're saying, this yeah. could be, but this isn't you because of who Jesus is. And he returns immediately after this passage back to who Jesus is as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, who somehow supersedes the the Mosaic law and that whole system mm-hmm. to say, it's based on Jesus, not based on us. Yeah. And isn't that how God always does things? I think just think about like the Moabite tribe and the curses that he laid on them and how Ruth was raised up from the Moabites. Mm-hmm. This is the upside down kingdom of God at work in Hebrews. Yeah. So let's take that admonition to grow up. And uh, for each of you, I'm going to give you, if you could say one thing to the church about Christian maturity, to challenge our people. What I wish y'all could see this at home. Like their, <laughs> their eyes both like shot up to the ceiling as though, please God, write something on the ceiling. Well, if that's my dissertation. That's that, that <laughs> yeah, will be my dissertation for my PhD. Okay. Um, from Paul's perspective, from the book of Colossians, what Dissertated, is spiritual maturity? J- Dissertated, so, Dave. Come on. <laughs> no, let's bring it. Let's preach it. No, I don't want to go that far. But um, I, I think multiplication. If I were to say one thing about what is spiritual maturity, it is not only existing for yourself, but Marissa, as you put it earlier. How do you take what's inside of you and pass it on to others who will pass it on to others? That is the ultimate call of, and the measure of spiritual maturity. If you're not able to just grow, but also to take that growth inside of you and deposit it into someone else who will grow to such a level that they'll even be able to deposit it into mm-hmm. someone else, I think that's what maturity looks like. Yes, yeah. I think of a friend of mine who's a pastor and um, for a long time uh, desperately wanted to be a father, but um, God chose a different path for him. He wasn't married. He was in his late 40s, and he still wanted... Um, a father, or to be a father, and then suddenly God let him know you are a father to so many. So stop waiting and do it. 
Mm. Um, and that's been the, the biggest challenge of my faith and so many people's faith is just stop waiting, stop questioning, stop being a toddler about this mm-hmm. and just have the confidence that you are loved and you're doing the right thing, that you're on the right path that, and, and start living life to God's glory. Yes. So, so what I would say, um, and I, I reflect as he writes these words on maturity, I found myself reflecting back to the beginning of the pandemic and um, how disappointed I was as a pastor to see what many people were posting, hmm. either things that were angry or things that were fearful. Uh, these are things that you can get anywhere, you know, and it is not life in Christ different. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is quit, quit worrying about reputation. We spend a lot of time worried about reputation and really start developing your character to follow Christ and to be distinct and to know people are watching you. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if we display fear, or anger, or all those things that they can find anywhere else, there's, there's nothing attractive about that at all. So it's time for all of us to grow up. <laughs> there you go. Amen. Are we done? I think so. I think we're done. Well done. Grow up. <laughs> and drop the Amen. mic. Drop the mic and get out. All right, Brad, do you have anything? Brad's back there in the sound booth. No. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you for that word of insight and wisdom. We got it. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll pick up the podcast next week. I don't know. We'll we'll pick up again. I think we're skipping Hebrews eight. We might pick up in verse chapter nine or something like that. Somewhere in there. We'll we'll be back somewhere in there. You you will have received last week. You should have received a pastor's cut for Hebrews seven. This week you'll be receiving a pastor's cut for Hebrews eight. For those that are getting it in order and listening to this this week that we're recording it, we're recording it on July fifth. So if if you're listening to it later in retrospect you will be able to catch back up into the sermon series. Yeah, with summer and vacations, you know, you know, sometimes we have to go to Maui at a moment's notice. Yeah. So, And sometimes the entire city of Tulsa loses power. Some, sometimes that happens. <laughs> sometimes Falls Creek happens. Yeah. Sometimes Falls Creek. That'll be next week. So, all right. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.